0: But look at Proverbs 15, verse number 18. If you're there, say amen. Amen. How many of y'all still need wisdom? All right. The Bible said, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother." Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. Let's pray. to Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this evening. Lord, thank you just for the wonderful time we've had thus far. Lord, being able to bring our, our needs and our requests before you, Lord, and as a church family, pray one for another, Lord, and pray pray jointly on some issues, Lord, asking you to work and move. And I just believe tonight, Lord, that prayer helps us, Lord. It, it reminds us, uh, Lord, of the great privilege that we have as a Christian. And I just thank you for that tonight, Lord. I ask you tonight that you'd have behind the cross of Calvary, Lord. You'd out of myself, Lord. Fill me with the spirit of God tonight. Lord, every time, Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, because I, I want it and I desire it, Lord, and I don't want to do this by myself, Lord, and I know what I could accomplish, Lord, and would be f- way far short of what you could do tonight, and I ask you tonight, Lord, you just have your will and way. Lord, help me just to be a vessel in the hands of the master tonight. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, and thank you, Lord, for another opportunity, Lord, just to open up your precious word and let it speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Now, when it comes to salvation, we know uh, the only work that really matters is the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's nothing that you and I do or nothing that you and I have accomplished for our salvation, but however, when it comes for living for the Lord and and, and living wisely and living the Christian life, yes, we, we rely on the Spirit of God, but what we do is important. Our Actions in our works are important. They, they matter in the sense. Right now, we know that words matter, that what you and I say, we talked about it last week, but they are not everything, or they're not every. That, that Merely saying something is far different from doing something. And we see tonight that somebody can tell you all day long that about their work ec, worth ethic and their ability to do something But the only way you can really know is by watching them work or watching them do what they said they could do. I've met many people that said, "I can do this. I'm the best at it." And so you say, "All right, go ahead." They're like, I, I, "I don't know what you're talking about now." They back away from it. And you, that, that you realize that sometimes the work doesn't match up to the words. And, and in those cases, what should we do, right? What should we do as a Christian when somebody's works don't match up to their word or their words don't match up to their works? So and now they say one thing, but when they begin to act, it's something totally different. We talked about the words last week, how words are important. They matter. They are, they are, they are needed and they're a part of our life, but what do you do when either somebody else or even ourselves sometimes our words don't match up with our works? Which one should we go with? Which one should we lean more heavily on? And I think tonight the Bible is telling us in Proverbs that when when there's an issue with the words and the works, what you observed in the works is gonna hold a little bit more weight than what you say. In essence, tonight you can say one thing, but if you do something else, it is to be taken note of. It's to be paid attention to tonight. Excuse <coughs> me. tonight, we see that it makes sense biblically, right? Proverbs twenty eleven says, "For even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right." Here's the thing: kids say a lot of things. Right, they think they can. When I was growing up, man, I thought I could be whatever I wanted to be. Now, I, in America, you have we have that privilege and that possibility. But I remember growing up thinking I was going to be a bull rider, I was going to be NFL quarterback, I was going to be a third baseman in the major league baseball system, and I was going to do all of that at the same time. Here's the problem: my works didn't match up with my words. Nobody was looking for a six foot quarterback. It only played a few times recreationally. And a lot of times when our, our words don't match with our works, you've got to step back and, and the Bible tells us, hey, even a child is known not by their words, but by their doings. And so when someone's words or your words aren't matching up with your works, you've got to realize people are looking at your works a whole lot more than they are at your words. Because if I were to say, raise your hand tonight, if you want to serve the Lord faithfully and for the rest of your life, all our hands would go up. Then I would say, well, show me some works for that. And so we see tonight that there needs to be a balance there. Our words ought to match up with our works. It makes sense biblically. It makes sense practically. It makes sense practically. How many have ever had to fill out a job resume? Or I had to present a job? You know why you have to do that? Because they don't take you at your word. <laughs> there was a young man who was, uh, he had come down to apply at the cabinet shop, not to work at the cabinet shop, but to work in the loading bay and all that kind of stuff. And he come down and he, well, I was I was still working there and I seen him there and he filled it out and he was, putting all these things down, how, how wonderful he was at driving the forklift and how he was forklift certified and, and all, you know, he's a great forklift driver and he, he drove that point home in his interview with, with the boss there and uh, he came to me, it was just a couple days later and he came to me, he said, he said Tate, you're not going to believe it, and I was at my other job and wrecked the forklift, completely wrecked it, tore it up, they got to get a new one. And I said, Well, that's not good. He said, Yeah. He said, it's not good. I kid you not, I go back to work a few days later and the boss comes down to me. He said, Hey, you know so and so that filled out this application. Are they good with the forklift? I said, Well, <laughs> to be completely honest with you, I said, they literally just told me the other day that they tore up the one their other job. He goes, Yeah, they weren't the pass on that one. <laughs> I said, brother Tate, you cost them a job. I was trying to be honest. And up front, but it, it makes sense practically, right? Uh, uh, and there was another man. I mean, I remember filling out the temp agency and going down there and getting all the paperwork together. And they were interviewing him next to me. And the, the lady said, ma'am, or said, sir, all these jobs, you, you worked for a little bit of time and you, you no longer work there. Could you explain to me why you quit those jobs? And every single one of them, it was the boss's fault. Every single one of them. And I, I, I was like, man, I, I can put two and two together here. It might not have been the boss's fault, right? So it makes sense practically. We do the same thing when someone's words don't match up with their work. So, uh, you know, I'll always be there. I'll always be faithful. I'll love you to the end. And then you call them when you need something. Oh, man, I can't help you. Then the work voids the words, or it lessens the words. So in this chapter of comparisons where the Lord allows us to see the difference between not just the words, but also the works of the righteous and the unrighteous and the wise and the foolish. So we're going to look at the difference of these works because here's the thing. You can't always go off of words, but works will always run true. Right? You can't fake work. You can't fake uh, the, the, the desire and the reason why we do so. Notice number one tonight, I've just got two points this evening. Notice number one, the composition of their works. The composition of the works, verses 18 through 22, almost serve as a resume that we're talking about of the works of each group that is being compared, the righteous and the unrighteous here, the the wicked and the foolish, or not the wicked and the foolish, but the wicked and the the righteous, the foolish and the wise tonight. And so as we go through this resume, ask yourself, am I associated with these kind of people in these kind of works, or do others associate me with these kind of people in these kind of works? See, verse number 18, the first issue we see is the issue of strife. Look at verse number 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. So one side is the source of, of, of strife, or their work produces strife. What they do, what, how they act, the, the work that they put in produces strife. Strife. Notice, notice the, the verbiage there in verse 18. It says, a wrathful man stirreth up strife. He stirs up strife. In essence, all the elements are there for strife, but left alone, it won't produce it. In essence, tonight, I can give you flour, I can give you butter, I can give you milk, I can give you salt, baking powder, and baking soda, and if I just give them to you by themselves, you won't produce anything. But it takes an effort of mixing and stirring and work and taking all of those elements to stir all that up to produce biscuits. And the same thing is true when it comes to uh, strife here tonight. A lot of the times, the Bible said, he goes on to say the raffle man, or you can put him in the category of the ungodly, the wicked, the foolish. Tonight, he, he takes those elements that by themselves won't cause any problems and stirs it up. In essence, he, he produces the strife from his work. And notice, it's normally emotionally stirred. Right, there's an emotion, there's tired, it's revenge, I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm mad. And therefore, I'm going to take these elements that if I left them alone, it wouldn't cause no problems. But I'm going to stir it up and produce strife. So one side stirs it up, the other side appeases it. Now, that's one of those words in verse number 18 and 9 that, that I, I was always, it kind of carries a, a, a bad connotation in mind. Because if you're an appeaser, you're a compromiser. Now, if you appease somebody, then you're just a man pleaser. Right? But when you look at his context, that word appease means to make quiet, to bring to rest, to produce peace. So the Bible says right here that that he that is slow to anger, he appeases strife, or he quiets strife. In essence, he realizes all the elements are there. The only thing it's lacking is my anger. And if I don't put my anger into the pot, I'm not going to stir up strife. Therefore, I remove myself and therefore I appease it and it produces a quiet atmosphere. So when we look at the works tonight, we can say, watch them. Are they they one who stirs the pot or are they one who tries to safely dismantle the strife and the issues that are there? We see the issue of strife. Then notice verse number 19, we see the issue of laziness. The issue of laziness. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain, verse number 19 tells us. Now, it's one thing to take a break. Listen, I firmly believe if you work hard, you ought to sleep hard, right? (laughs) My grandfather, he's up in his 90s now. We went to visit him a few years ago, and at the age of 91, he finally got rid of his cows. And he told me, he said, you know, I, I, just can't, I just can't take care of them like, I'm, like I used to, like I'm supposed to. He said, so I had to sell them off. I said, well, Grandpa, you're 90-some years old. That's understandable. And then he said, "He said, but I don't sleep very well. I said, well, why is that, Grandpa? He said, because I don't work hard enough. I said, Grandpa, you're in your 90s. <laughs> what do you mean you don't work hard enough? He said, that, he said, if a man wants to sleep, you ought to learn how to work. So I don't have a verse for that, Grandpa, but that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but this issue of laziness when and it's one thing to take I'm not against vacations, I'm not against taking breaks, but you know, I'd I, I never worked a union job, I worked outside of the union, and I worked a, a craftsman job, and you know who we used to make fun of all the time? People working in the union? Because someone says it's time for a break, and we'd say, it ain't union time around here. We work for a living or go back and forth. But it's, it, I'm not against breaks, but when you have to live on break, or you have to live at vacation, or you have to live without work in your life, right? You need to, when your rest becomes detrimental to your life, it becomes a hedge of thorns. What is there to recuperate and to recover now becomes something you depend upon and, and something you do not want to get out of even though you know that you're supposed to. I don't care how you cut the Bible tonight. You cannot get away from the back the fact the Bible teaches a man ought to work. He ought to put in effort. He ought to, he ought to do what is required of him. It's amazing the, the reality of the verse. The Bible says that he, a man who ought not to work, ought not to eat, but also a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. And so you can't cut it. And it's one of those things the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do it, then I ought to do it. And I ought not to be ashamed to do it, not to be afraid to do it, not to shy away from it. And when your rest becomes detrimental to your life, it becomes heads of thorns, you may not like it tonight, but the Bible says you're becoming lazy. You're becoming lazy. In essence, a good illustration tonight is, you know, they, they go back and forth, and, and you'll, I'll listen to some of it, but they'll go back and forth considering the welfare system here in America. And they'll, they'll say, all right, well, ought to put requirements on it that if someone's going to apply for welfare they ought to then be willing to go to a drug test and they ought to be willing to produce an effort of work or a work requirement preacher what do you think about it? i'm not against any of that matter of fact, i think it's a great idea i think i think it's not too much to ask i, I had to work a full-time job and they expected me to be drug-free <laughs> there's no issue with any so preacher Preacher, it's going to disqualify some people. It's going to to mess up some people. You know, they're depending upon that check. Can I say tonight, the welfare system was never designed for somebody to be dependent upon it. Now, listen, if you paid your dues, you paid your taxes, you put into Social Security, you retire, that's one thing. But I'm talking about those who are able-bodied, able age able-ability, and choose not to. And before we get so upset with them, I think some of that same mentality has crept into the church. Oh, preacher, that ain't my job. That ain't re- Preacher, I'm just for what the church can give me. There'd probably be some people, they get real upset. If we had a fifth Sunday dinner, and I said, hey, put that to-go plate down, you didn't bring nothing. <laughs> preacher, you gonna do that? No, I ain't gonna do that. But they're probably, excuse me? <laughs> How dare you say that to me? Well, I'm just calling a spade a spade. <laughs> it's calling it like it is tonight. But we see here tonight, He uh, said, well, preacher, I mean, but is that really a big of an issue? Well, here's the thing. If somebody ends up getting off of drugs because they know they have to pass a drug test to get a check, and, but then they also know they've got to prove work requirement, they find a job that they love. And they, they enjoy it. It's a stable job. What is better, someone being dependent upon the welfare system or somebody saying, you know what, That I, I, yes, that, that's where I used to live, but because of the requirements they put in my life, now I'm drug free and I'm working a job I love. It's a better opportunity to me. And so we see it or not, but, but what about spiritually, right? A, a great deal of lazy Christians, right? We have we have a great deal of lazy Christians whose laziness has put a hedge of thorns up in front of them. They have learned to coast in the Christian life. Last time I checked, the Great Commission is not to coast and enjoy and wait till Jesus comes. We're told to go, we're told to occupy, we are told to fight the good fight of faith. We told to work while well, it is yet day we are told to put in effort now we understand tonight that God doesn't need you and I, he's, he, I mean, he owns a of a thousand hills he, he does everything tonight but he's allowed you and I a time and a place to be involved in the work of God and so us to step back and say you know what I'm going to be lazy I'm not going to do anything and God you still better bless me it's not the right mentality to have so we see the issue of the laziness, right? The, 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 the wicked, the unrighteous, the, this crowd says, you know what? I'm not doing anything for anybody even if it hurts me and it's to my detriment. Well, the righteousness have a, a plain path, right? Look at what it says right verse. The way of the righteous is made plain. It's made real plain. I must do what God has instructed me to do simply because that's what he told me to do. It's plain and simple. God told me it's time to work, so I'm going to work. God told me it's time to pray, so I'm going to pray. God told me to do this, I'm going to do that. Why? It's what he told me to do. It's what he's instructed us to do. So the issue of laziness tonight in verse number 19. Then we have the issue of counsel in verse number 22. The Bible says without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. (laughs) We live in 2023. Everybody's feelings are hurt. Everybody's upset about everything. And there's this crowd, don't judge me crowd. Don't you dare judge me. Do you realize you're missing out on a great opportunity to learn? A great opportunity to grow. I'm not talking about judgmental and, and, and prejudiced and, and you know, unbased uh, opinions. But one of the greatest things you'll ever experience in life is constructive criticism. Is somebody judging you. If somebody's stepping back and say, listen, out of love, out of respect, out of a desire to see you improve, here's what I've noticed about what you did. Here's what i noticed about what you're saying, and I've come here to help. Oh, preacher, I don't want that in my life. Well, look at verse number 22, prepare to be disappointed. The count, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. You're not going to know what, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it. They're missing out a great opportunity to succeed, and they're normally defeated by... oversight, right? Something that somebody else could have seen and somebody else probably saw you just didn't listen to, oftentimes it comes back to bite you, doesn't it? When we see here tonight, the counsel, what does that mean? That means somebody pouring wisdom into your life. Somebody taking notice and saying, hey, here's a better way to do this. I remember working in the cabinet shop and like I said, I had all of no experience when I started there. I, I mean, I knew how to use a power drill, read a tape measure, that was it. And so a lot of that was learning on my own. They'd tell me to build something, and I would just figure out how to build it. I just, my, my brain would be on fire trying to figure these things out. But there was a man, he worked right across from me, his name was Old Man Chuck. It wasn't his actual literal name, that's what we called him. But he's from West Virginia, a rough man, mean, Oh. But he took a liking to me. And he would always call me over to listen to a certain thing on his radio. And uh, he'd take, take John Boy and Billy are on. Come, come listen. To the Rev's on. I'd go listen to the Rev with him. And I'd get to laughing. He said, well, don't you think it's funny? I said, no. I, the reason why I'm laughing is I've heard some of this preach before. <laughs> I've heard these things said before. And uh, he would, he'd just always invite me over. But then every now and again, I'd be over there working. I'm talking about sweating, wearing myself out. And he'd walk over there and he'd just, he'd just stand there just like this. I said, what is it, old man, Chuck? <laughs> he said, you know, there's an easier way to do that. I said, I'd be glad if you showed me how to do it. And he had all these different things and, 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 and different clamps and different jigs and different this and, and to make his life easier. I could easily step back and say, listen, you, you, you're, old. You, you're, you're, you're past your prime, old man. I'm the, new, I'm the new age right here. I'm teaching you how to do it now. This is the new way of doing it. And I would have made a big mess out of everything. Preacher, what'd you do when old man Chuck retired? I went over to his workstation and grabbed all those jigs and all those clamps and claimed them as my own. <laughs> we see the issue of laziness. We see the issue of care, uh, counsel tonight. Those who welcome constructive criticism normally succeed. They normally succeed, right? Faults and issues are exposed, but also corrected And approved, and made better in that sense. Uh, When it comes to anything in life, you've got to learn that not everybody is against you. Not everybody's for you, no doubt, but not everybody against you. And when somebody speaks or somebody brings up an issue that they've noticed in you, and they're not they're not belittling you with it, they're not putting you down with it, but rather they're coming with a heart of compassion and concern. Listen to them. Listen to it. You may, you're not, you may not have to do what they're telling you to do, but at least listen to them, right? And so we see the, the wise man allows counsel into his life, allows people to teach and to instruct him, whereas the foolish doesn't. So we see the work, right? We see the composition of their work. They, they, some allow and some, some are, they, they put in the effort. They're not lazy, right, tonight, and they, they, they're not causing strife. But then notice number two tonight, the conviction of their works, the conviction of their works. Verses 8 through 10 tonight, the Bible said the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. But he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. It goes on to say in verse 20 and 21, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Then go down to verse number 24. The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. It's pretty strong language right there. Now, one of the foundational differences between these two groups tonight is who are they trying to please with their work? Who are you trying to please with your works? Are you trying to please yourself? Are you trying to please the Savior tonight? Verse number 20 gives us a great illustration, right? It says right here, a wise son maketh a glad father. It goes on to say, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. One side wants to please the source of the wisdom. This goes all the way back to the beginning of Proverbs where uh, Solomon instructed his son, hey, listen to the wisdom and the knowledge of your father and the instruction of your mother. What he saying, he said, in essence, it's simple to please God, right? It's simple to, 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 to gratify the Lord. How, preacher? By being obedient. By listening and following the instruction that is given to you. And the Bible said, a wise son makes a glad father. But he goes on to say, a foolish man despiseth his mother. One side wants to please their self, one side wants to please the authority, God in their life. Now, here's the danger of self-pleasure right? and self-satisfaction. Notice this, verses 8 and 10, when you and I desire self-gratification, we are aligning ourselves with the abominable. Not talk, I know it's Christmas time. I'm not talking about Rudolph. Look what it says right there in verse number 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Verse number 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. I think sometimes we we, we, we lessen the reality of, of fleshly and carnal living. Are we going to do it? Unfortunately, the answer to that is yes. But should we make excuses? Should we, should we make it seem like it's not a small deal? I don't think so. Because the Bible right here calls their way and their works and their sacrifice abominable. it's in alignment with the abominable. Here's the thing. You'll sacrifice the wrong things. Verse number 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Here's the thing you young people got to realize. Sometimes, not sometimes, but some things once you give them up, you can't get them back. Once they're given away, you can't get them back. And if you're not careful, you will sacrifice the precious things that God has given you. You can't give away your purity and then get it back. You, You can't do that tonight. Once it's given away, it's given away. You'll sacrifice the wrong things. You'll head in the wrong direction. Verse number nine, the way of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord. You'll be far from where God desires you to be. You'll forsake your help, verse number 10. Correction is grievous unto them that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Everybody needs to get off my back. Everybody, you should be glad tonight that somebody was on your back. If somebody is willing to teach you and talk with you and say, hey, I, I don't want you to go that way. I don't want you to experience that. The Bible said when you and I begin to please ourselves and all we care about is what do I want will we'll spur in the very correction God has placed in our life. There's an alignment of the abominable. Then you'll find this, verse number 20, you'll find joy in folly. Look at verse number 20. Excuse me, verse 21. Jo- folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. Bible's pretty clear right there. God wasn't pulling no punches right here. He said if you find joy in folly, in essence those things that the Bible clearly tells us is wrong, if you find joy of that, God said you are completely destitute of wisdom. There is no ounce of wisdom found in that decision. You're destitute. You'll find joy in folly. The only way you can feel better is by hurting yourself more. You realize that tonight when it comes to anything of the world, you have to have more in order for you to feel better, in order to feel a release, a numbness, whatever you're looking for. It you ha- you starts off little, but it's always more and more and more to the point that it normally damages you. It causes physical damage that cannot be repaired or fixed. It causes emotional damage that, that, that you'll struggle the rest of your life tonight. The Bible says that's a very unwise thing. Folly is, joy preacher, I'm having a wonderful time. That's why you always have to have more without realizing the damage that it's causing you. We find joy in folly. But notice here tonight we see the determination of the wise. We get verse number 24. The way of life is above the wise, or excuse me, above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. Well, how many of us, we're going to be real honest, we've experienced that hell beneath? We know that, that life before our salvation, we know the life of this world and the ways of this world, there's nothing good to it, right? There's there's no blessing from there's no wonderful thing. We've all had our fair share of this world and its ways, so why should we continue in it? Why should we go back to it? Why should we long for it? What is the Bible, how, preacher? How do I how do I keep from looking back and longing back? The Bible said, look above. Look up in the sense, I mean, not necessarily physically. Not, when you walk around like this, ain't going to help necessarily. But notice you're not to look above. The Bible says to set your affections on things above. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The wise man realizes that, hey, there is nothing back there uh, there's nothing down there worth going back to. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on that which is above and the, the, realize the way of life is above to the wise. The wisest thing, the wisest thing that you and I could ever do is probably become so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. <laughs> I know normally when we say that we're talking about somebody who's, I don't really know where that saying came from. Some along say, you know what, they're too heavenly minded for, too earth, for any earthly good. I think if we really broke that down and began to realize it, that the longer and the more you and I think about that which is above, that which is waiting for us, that which we'll experience one day, I think it'll actually probably make us a more earthly good. Because we'll realize one day we'll stand before Christ. Though I will have to give an answer for my sin, I will have to give an answer for that which I've done by faith. For him because of the fact that he saved me and the fact that, yes, I want my family to be there. And I want my friends to be there and I want to experience and I want them to experience that too. It'll put a desire in you that only comes from keeping your eyes fixed on the Lord and fixed on that which is above. The wisest thing we could do is to purpose and to become so heavenly minded that the world is no longer looks good to us. There's no, I've left it all behind. Well, I've left the old past, right? I, 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 I've left the old life. I've left it all by, behind. We, we sing the songs about how we left it instantly and how we don't ever want to go back. And we sing it, but sometimes I wonder, do we live that? That ought to be our desire tonight, which is a conviction for the works. Uh, who are we trying to please tonight? If you're trying to please yourself, you can look at your works and see it. If you're trying to please the Lord and strive to please the Father, you can see it in The works tonight. We see some works. Where do we line up with those works? We see some conviction. Why are we doing those works that we're doing?